Welcome back to another episode of the Quantum Cast. I'm your host Brian Kia, and in this episode, we're going to be looking at the impact of the coronavirus, aka COVID-19, on the travel and tourism industry in China. The reason why we're particularly looking at this industry is because a lot of travel stocks have been hit globally, and we're trying to see how significant this impact may be, whether this sector is overdone after the past week's actions, the fluctuations, the volatility, the 10% decline in most indexes across the globe. The FTSE 100 has been down by a similar amount. The Dow Jones has been down by a similar amount. The DAX has been down by a similar amount. We're going to start by looking at some macro statistics and hopefully try and build a bigger picture in our minds as things develop. And hopefully at the end, maybe if we have some time, we can start trying to apply everything to the wider picture. Because if you get to the conclusion at the end and you think that maybe the travel and tourism industry doesn't really affect global trade in a way, and if that collapses or also declines, there may not be a significant impact on the global economy. But then we start to think, what if the entire economy starts to fail in China or decline? We start to see slowdowns across other areas, for example, exports of certain goods used in manufacturing processes, the semiconductors index, that could suffer hugely. What are the implications of everything in aggregate? Hopefully soon we can start to realize. But in this episode specifically, we're going to be looking at China's travel and tourism industry. So after having a quick look, I'd noted that approximately 2.5% of China's entire population is employed as a result of direct employment in the travel and tourism sector. If we account for the amount of economically active people, meaning the people who are willing and able to work, those ones who are of working age and are in good health to be able to work, that percentage is about 3.5% of the total workforce. That is not so large when you think about it, but then we start to look at the area of indirect employees. Now, for those unfamiliar with indirect employment, the way it works is if you have an industry in the first place, they start to create business for other people through a supply chain. That supply chain has people working in it. They have greater spending that leads to employment in other areas as a result of that industry being there. They also have capital investment, which creates employment for other businesses. This is quite a general thing to think about it because if you had another industry in place instead of travel and tourism, maybe they would be using similar services from other people. Maybe similar machinery would be purchased and thus it may not be that reliable to use that whole indirect employment figure. But anyways, if we're going to look at the total number of indirect employees plus direct employees in China as a result of the travel and tourism industry, that goes to approximately 79 million people. Now that is roughly 5.8% of China's total population and almost 10% of China's economically active population. Just if anyone's interested, the economically active population number is 806.86 million. That was as of 2017, which a lot of the data we're going to be using is based off. Now tourism is an area that's severely impacted when you have a widespread outbreak of a particular virus. In this case, the coronavirus is one that is widely misunderstood 
most probably wouldn't be able to tell you what the symptoms are, and they would just say it's something that kills people, when the actual death rate is approximately 3.5% right now on recorded cases. There have been many closed cases. Something like 40,000 people have reportedly recovered. You see, when this breaks out into countries that are less well-equipped to cope with some kind of outbreak, for example, Iran, that has had a really high death rate, almost 10%, and apparently the cases may be higher. Surely at this point you start to think, what are going to be the repercussions of this particular outbreak on the global economy? But the problem is, in the UK we've had, what, nine cases? And I think one person had died, but they died outside. It was a British person, but not in the UK. That's what the story seemed to have been. Now, we think about the markets. What has happened recently? In the past week, we've seen about a 10 to 13% decline across most major global indexes. Now, when I look at this in particular, I look at a basket of stocks and I see why have they been battered so much and why have they all kind of been normally distributed? You start to see a lot of travel companies down approximately 30%. You start to look across most blue chips in the US, you tend to see about that 15, 16, 17% kind of area across your Amazons and Apples and other companies of a similar nature. But one thing to me that I found really interesting is that people have forgotten that if there is a slowdown in trade with China because of, for example, some of the factors we're going to be talking about later, slowdowns in trade, whatever, as a result of, poof, I don't know, closed areas for trade, closed means by quarantines being put in place, that kind of thing, then what's going to be the impact on which companies to a certain degree? Certain companies may not even have trade with China. Yes, the global economy may be slower, but we have to start thinking about what's realistic. And are certain companies being battered that shouldn't actually be down? Certain companies may even benefit from these kind of situations, which obviously could be rare, but we have to think about it relative in every company's case. Now, one thing that I've seen is a lot of companies don't have exposure in terms of sales to China, but some do have large exposure. In the United States, I noted Skyworks has an 85% exposure to China. So if this impact in six months' time were to be something more serious and would be seen on balance sheets, it's likely to be seen on their accounts. Companies with a similar exposure, Corvo, QRVO, once again, an American company, 75% of its sales are in China. Qualcomm, Qcom, they have 69% of their sales in China. I could go on. There are so many different companies. Intel has 40% of their trade. Apple, a huge company, has almost a fifth, just, just over a fifth, actually. I, I remember 22%. That was the number that they had in terms of their total sales exposure in China. That is a lot. Now, why are these companies down less than some companies that have less exposure? Irrationality of investors. And when stocks start to recover, these ones may actually present great shorting opportunities, have a lot of downside. Whereas on the other hand, certain companies that have been absolutely battered as a result of the retracement in indexes because of, say, high correlations, so high beta coefficients relative to large indexes, their particular index, for example, let's say 
in the FTSE 100. Namely, companies such as EasyJet and Carnival Corporation have been down approximately 30% since the start of this week. Now, it's approximately 1am on a Sunday night, and I look back on this week thinking that things have been really hectic. And if this coronavirus outbreak were to lead to significant macroeconomic impacts, so a weakness in the global economy, then it's likely that this will be felt over time. The reason I say this, suggesting that this is potentially a too quick response, a too swift response that could potentially see reversal once things calm down. Obviously, we've had a really negative set of PMI data, which we'll talk about hopefully later when we conclude the episode. But the problem is a lot of companies tend to report their half yearly earnings with a couple month delays. So it's possible that they may have had strong performance and and maybe showing decent results when it comes to the next reporting period, whenever that may be. But then after that occurs, you'll start to see any sales drop actually being factored into a company's results, and then investors start to sell off, realizing that firms are actually not valued at what they previously valued them at before, and it's likely that you would see a collapse in those shares, which effectively hits most indexes if it is a widespread phenomenon profit warnings and such revenue warnings debt going above manageable levels so dare i say it it is possible that this reaction is a little bit overdone a simple seasonal market correction may have been happening anyways macro risk off where funds tend to sell off and they sell off in large size probably inconsistent with one another and what happens is you see a depreciation in equity pricings and different assets in general you get a point where risk assets start doing well gold for example certain precious metals too silver could be one there as a risk asset and you kind of see a cycle they do well and then you have another breakout in the indexes but this whole phenomenon or should we say contagion in the market right now of coronavirus having a significant impact today is likely just the reaction of macro risk off alongside negative sentiment, a swift turn in sentiment. The PMI data suggests that it could potentially get super bad, super fast. At this point, I'm trying to think if the markets are going to crash, for example, then what are going to be the individual components contributing to this, the factors that contribute to a collapse in asset prices what makes the global economy vulnerable i don't know now i've done some research and i've looked at a slowdown a potential slowdown in international tourism expenditure and what that may do to the global economy but i've used previous data as we don't have future data and it's difficult to predict everything so we have to think in terms of scenarios i've looked at the 2017 data for the total amount of outbound journeys for Chinese international tourists, and that amounted to 142.73 million. Now, why is this figure significant? Because each of those outbound journeys had a total expenditure of approximately $1,750, which is crazy. That takes a total tourism expenditure internationally just by Chinese tourists alone to $250 billion which is quite large. In terms of global trade, though, it's still quite a minuscule figure, which we'll go on to talk about towards the end as well. Now, 
Using some Nielsen data that I tried to access, I realized that non-Chinese tourists tend to factor safety as the most important factor for them traveling abroad. Now, if there's a risk of them potentially spreading something, which a lot of countries have quarantined or banned travel or restricted travel from domestic Chinese individuals to effectively go abroad and tour, however long this lasts is important for evaluating the impact on the global economy. Now, this is similar with foreign tourists, and if they can't access anyways, it doesn't matter if they want to go, they may not even go, and maybe even after that sentiment may be hurt, which is unfortunate, because this is nothing to do with Chinese people. Chinese culture is absolutely wonderful. It is so wide and varied and so different on many levels to European culture, Middle Eastern culture, and presents a different side of life which many should experience at some point in their lives but when that tourism is lost you lose the additional multiplier effects so if spending abroad reduces then that spending doesn't go to potential incomes for new employees in new sectors let's just suppose yourself as the listener were a chinese tourist and you were deciding to travel abroad well, data from Nielsen shows that on average, each Chinese international tourist spent $762 approximately. And with most of this spending being in duty-free shops, department stores, and large supermarkets. Now, it's interesting. They were spending that money. That money goes to pay people's incomes. People are earning money, therefore they can spend that income in different places, effectively adding to the total amount of goods and services produced in an economy, otherwise known as GDP. So without those multiplier effects, the income being put into one place that effectively has a four times impact or whatever, however large the multiplier may be, there is a lot of GDP that could be lost in terms of multipliers of the initial injection. Now, what I also noted was that we talked about some of these spending areas for Chinese international tourists, but I haven't mentioned the luxury store spending, it's likely that that spending wouldn't be hit after such issues occur. Because a lot of the time, when markets retrace, those people who remain in cash or risk on assets may have been likely wealthier in the past. So on a recovery in the markets, they seem to have more assets to make use of a potential depression or a recession, or you know, however severe this may be. Depression is probably more severe, a recession is something slightly more temporary. It's likely that that spending won't be held back regardless of restrictions on travel, slowdowns in the industry. So I've decided to exclude that in any evaluation. But what I wanted to look at was the duty-free expenditure that actually dominates Chinese tourist spending in a couple of countries. And some of those countries we could mention, Hong Kong, Thailand, Australia, and South Korea. Why? Probably tax relief maybe bringing back goods from abroad and trying to get a maximum tax relief, not pay certain taxes as if you were importing certain goods. That is interesting. If the tourism industry slows down, then you're going to see decreased spending in these nations in the duty-free areas relative to the proportion that's obviously being spent by the Chinese. It's not that huge, but once again, it's bigger than most nations. Why? Because China has approximately a population of 1.3 billion. And we've mentioned, what, 140 odd million outbound journeys, which is crazy. 
and this was only 10.5 million in 2000. So this has exploded and is continuously rising. This, of course, is due to a rise, a rapid rise in the level of middle class income earners, those who are starting to have a decent percentage of luxury expenditure, those that have good disposable income per month, per year, that kind of thing, where they can live comfortably, they can have a couple holidays a year. So if Chinese international tourists are unable to spend money at these places due to quarantines or just a slowdown in the amount of people traveling there, Hong Kong, Thailand, Australia and South Korea are going to have less growth. Obviously, not to a significant extent. So that's probably a thing we should throw away. Luxury spending is very infrequent, but it is quite excessive, especially from the growth of middle income earners and also higher income earners in China as a result of the recent boom, 6% GDP growth a year since 1980-something, 1981, I believe, and that has been maintained, starts to have a huge impact over time on the relative international well-being of a particular country's citizens. Those who aren't able to grow as much are probably having economic difficulty. Well, China has soared in all aspects relative to this. Now, what about on-location expenditure? Well, Chinese international expenditure on location in the US was approximately $4,462 per person. The amount of visitors was quite small, though, relative to the total of outbound journeys. 3.24 million visitors. Now, that goes to a total revenue of $14.5 billion, which is, although it seems large, it's not significant. That's approximately 0.075% of all of the US GDP in 2017, the total US gross domestic product. But if we look at all sectors, then let's just say, what's the total imports figure? $500 billion. That was the figure in 2017. Then that represents a larger percentage of total GDP. That's 2.5% of that figure that we mentioned, approximately $19 trillion. The last figure we can see, I think for 2017, the growth rate was approximately 2.3%. So you'd think at first, if there was a, an impact in trade with China, for example, Chinese imports of US goods slow down because of quarantine of global markets for a certain period, forecasts are much higher than the actual performance. The, the PMI data, as we mentioned, 35.7, that shows the purchasing managers index an indicator of how well the manufacturing index is doing. Well, we start to think it's unlikely that there's going to be an impact. Now, the PMI data obviously shows that there's been a huge impact somehow. Why has China affected the global economy? Sentiment seems to come into play. People start to sell off different assets, stop doing trade, because China may be a place where they can source resources. Other countries have trade with China. It's not just the US. All these economies start taking hits. And that's where we start to see huge losses. Now, here's the problem. I keep thinking that that multiplier effect is being ignored in any of these statistics we're using. Because, yeah, 2.5%, 500 billion in trade per year. That may actually lead to what, let's just say a multiplier of 6, 3 trillion in value, which represents approximately 15% of US GDP. That's the issue. When you lose those multiplier effects, 
which at the moment in the financial markets has been quite present. Investors are making money through different types of assets, and then they're able to use that money for expenditure to the point where they can enjoy their lives. And that money has been spent in the economy, once again, paying people's wages. People can then invest in whatever, grow the economy further, spend their income. Once again, it's like a crazy cycle that leads to huge economic growth. When we have a lot of trade wiped out, we lose the injections. And what happens is that the impact on GDP is much more than the amount of trade a year, which is scary. So if we have a multiplier of, I don't know, three on the two and a half percent, obviously, in reality, you wouldn't see the whole of the Chinese trade with the US getting lost. But let's just say if that happened, for example, it wouldn't happen. There is literally no way we can see unless they, for example, cut off all trade ties, which would be suicidal. But Let's just say that happens for the sake of comparison. 2.5% of US GDP with a three times multiplier. Let's just say 7.5% of GDP. If we take that away from the 2.3% growth, you're talking about significantly negative GDP growth just from one nation, which is a big problem. It's unrealistic to have a multiplier of three. But once again, I'm trying to create a relative picture on how losing a major trade partner has an impact on the economy. And this tends to have a global impact because of contagion. Once the US has problems, then the UK has problems because they have a lot of trade with them. When the UK has problems, Europe has a lot of problems. When Europe has problems, then Africa has a lot of problems. And, and then that contagion spreads. It's essentially the domino effect where one nation falls, for example. And that leads to another nation falling, and it leads to more nations falling. And before you know it, economies across the globe are suffering and consistent. To conclude this episode of the Quantium Cast, I'd like to stress that even if there is a decline in the travel and tourism industry in China, or across the globe with relative to Chinese trade, the sales exposure, it is not necessarily going to cause a contraction in economic growth. Because as we've stated, there is a small proportion, but the multiplier effect is something to consider. And also the exposure of the global economy. China is now increasingly interdependent with regards to other major global economies, major developed markets such as Germany, the United Kingdom, the United States in particular. Despite them having trade war tensions, if you see China collapsing as an economy, Apple loses effectively 22% of its trade. Major companies like NVIDIA lose 56% of their trade. Qualcomm, as we mentioned earlier, 69%. Skyworks Solutions, a semiconductors firm, US-based, but 85% of their sales in China. Intel, 40%. Huge giants with a lot of exposure. This is the important thing that we need to consider. There is risk. The interdependency of markets can create a problem. So it may sometimes be in the United States and major developed markets of their kind to actually help China in such difficult times. So it would potentially be in their best interest for China to deliver stronger economic growth because the risk of contagion could effectively lead to slower economic growth in their countries and potentially a collapse in their financial markets. In my personal opinion, although I've been bearish due to a seasonal dip that uh, would have been about 4-5% in the FTSE index. Now, 
it's, I think, double that impact. The reason why I'd be bullish on any further dips in the short run is because I don't think the impact on the balance sheets are going to be felt. We are in an irrational phase in the market where a lot of investors tend to even buy after revenue warnings. Apple released a revenue warning and their shares were down by about 1.5%. In a normal market condition, you'd probably see their shares crashing, you know, 10, 20, 30%. Like most companies would react to a warning in revenues, especially when they have 22% of their trade in China. If there is going to be any significant impact, it will happen around six months time, maybe even above that. Because think about the average three month lag between half yearly reports, quarterly reports even have a similar lag. So we could say three months worst case. But until those impacts are properly felt, companies start to issue profit warnings and the overall market tends to take a hit. We can't be speculating on any weakness yet. The PMI data is one thing that could potentially lead the market to make further lows. But my two plays for myself are either have a long bias on a crash to a FIB level on the FTSE 100 of approximately £60.80 per contract. If we don't see that happen, then potentially short a rise over the next two days or so, two trading days, you know, Monday, Tuesday, that kind of thing. But we'll have to see at the moment. I am in cash. I only have one position open, a short on TUI. That's definitely a story for another episode. But what I'm probably looking to do is act based off the reaction over the next couple of days. So on that note, I've been your host, Ryan Kier of quantumresearch.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening. Happy trading next week. Regardless of what happens, remember that there is more to life than financial losses. And let's look to the future, learning from our mistakes and not think about things that have happened in the past. It's about moving forward right now. I'm definitely going to be paying attention to the reaction to the PMI data on Monday morning. Until next time.